It's me, Terry Flower. It's me, CLB. And this week we're joined by... <laughs> Ender Murphy. <laughs> Ender, what's the story, pal? How are you? Well, we're in the same club, I think, anyway. Yeah, we okay, are. With the way that leg is going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a, a lot of people do say to me, Jesus, you must be rattling, you must be real nervous. And I'm like, I'm not even nervous. Somebody texted us the other day, yesterday, was it? And said, cut them fucking legs off, right? And I didn't know. It wasn't like on the video and so I was like, what the fuck is she on about? And I says, what? And she said, the fucking YouTube video. So I went back and watched it. And holy mother of Jesus, it's bad. No, it's not. What makes you think it's bad? Like watching it, because I was like, I didn't realise that I'm doing that. Yeah, but... Do you get me? No, hang on a second. That's where we're going to go with this podcast. Right. You said there's something bad about what you're doing. What you're doing is a very effective mindfulness exercise. Yeah. You're actually stimming. Now, stimming can be anything from, you know, like kind of pill rolling in your hand or somebody fiddling with their hair. But it's actually a relaxing thing that you do. Yeah. So whereas somebody else would say that's actually anxiety, that's actually relaxing for you. So yeah. what makes you think it's actually something wrong with it? I think it's it's very agitating for the viewer to watch. So that's why people <laughs> say it's bad. Well, let them go for therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to just listen. Yeah, go yeah, on. that's just it. Just listen in the car. All right. Yeah, so I don't. I don't. See, I'm doing it now, right? And now I'm like. And oh, now you got me doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things. Put two people ADHD in the room. And but that the reason for that is is that empathy is the what's called the mirror neuron system. So when I see you doing something, I'll automatically start doing it. And that's because my neuron system in the, the base of my brain is actually mirroring what you're actually to doing. To try and comfort Terence. Yeah. And if yeah. I'm actually with seeing somebody for therapy, because that's my day job, all right, is that if I'm actually sitting there and they're getting me and I'm getting them in a way that neither of us even have to speak, I know I'm talking to one of my own. Girl up, mm, Yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so before we get into that, do you want to give us a bit of a background in who you are and what you do? Who I am? Okay, mm. well... Uh, my name's Enda. Uh, I'm what's called a cognitive behavioural therapist. I'm also uh, I work in medical education with the with the one of the colleges, and uh, I kind of do an awful lot of training therapists. But I suppose my main qualification for being here is that I was diagnosed as ADHD about thirty years ago, and in America, when nobody knew what ADHD was, and I was picked up more by accident than anything else. I was working in I was a nurse. And I was working in a uh, an emergency room in Harlem, and I'd kind of been touring around the world. You can imagine the chaos, right? Yeah. So I'm working in an emergency room, and it was my boss who actually said it to me, and she said, "You know what? You have a condition called ADHD," because she had it. And I said, "What do you mean?" And I had no idea what it was, what she was talking about. You nobody knew it. That's no. this was back in the early nineties, and she said uh, that the department, the psychology department up on the tenth floor or whatever it was, had been doing research into this condition called ADHD. All right, and that they had. There was 10,000 people working in this hospital and they, you know, they started looking for all the ADTDs because apparently one in 10 of us has this condition. Now, we'll talk about that later, why we do. But they had, couldn't find any of them until they ended up in the emergency room. And then they found that nearly all of us in the, e, in the ER okay, had ADHD because that's the kind of environment we thrive in. 
Chaos. High energy, high octane. You never know what's going to happen again. All right. Yeah. And over that sounds the years, like Ray cracking down. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas most people would find that incredibly exhausting, you and I can do things like that. You know, kind of. What's your problem? We don't. We don't see a problem with it. Yeah. You know. And that's you know that's what ADHD. You know, I often say like I write I write I write books I write psychology books and about twenty years ago I developed a model of psychotherapy where I argued that the majority of people who come to see me for therapy are making one or more of five basic thinking errors, and the first error all right was where we abnormalize, all right. So my problem was never the fact that I had ADHD. My problem was the fact that somebody thought I was their disorder. Mm. And everybody, spe I spent the whole of my life being told what's wrong with me without anybody ever telling me what was right about me or how to correct any of the other things. And the analogy I use is, is that, you know, for any women listening, or any, either of you is left-handed? No. No, okay. Well, for people who are left-handed are women. I want you to imagine you're in Victorian England where women are viewed through a man's eyes because everybody, everything is de developed by men. Everything is controlled by men. And if you come to me with an anxiety and I think, God, you know what? That's weird you're feeling those feelings. Are you behaving like that? And, you know, and I'll say you're hysterical. You've heard that word hysterical. Yeah. That comes from the Latin word hysteria, meaning uterus. All right. So what happens is, and I forgot to turn off my bloody phone. All right. Hold on to it. Just that yeah. So we'll say you're hysterical. Now, if you believe that something is wrong with you because you think and act or feel like a woman and that you'll only be normal if you think or act or feel like a man, then the more you try and act and think and feel like a man, the more abnormal a woman you're going to feel. And say, go back 30, 40 years ago. If you were writing with your left hand, we bet you until yeah. you started writing with your right hand. And then we criticised you for writing badly. Yeah. And it was seen as a discipline thing. And that's the problem we have with ADHD. There is nothing wrong with having ADHD. You will thrive. Look how successful you've been when you found what it is you're good at. Mm. But if I keep telling you, you need to think and act like somebody else, then you'll only abnormalize. And unfortunately, that's what we do. Mm. You know, I was at a conference one time and they were talking about this thing called the DSM-5. And the DSM is this big kind of like an old phone directory of all kinds of mental illnesses and all this. And they were all talking about uh, ADHD. And I was sitting there listening. I was in DCU, it was about 10 years ago. And I was sitting there listening and I was listening and listening and I couldn't stop myself. I just put up my hand and I said, listen, do you mind me asking how many people with ADHD did you have on your review panel when you were coming up with these conclusions? And the answer was none. <laughs> They'd not spoken to anybody with ADHD. So that's a bit like the three of us sitting here writing a book on women and we never talk to a woman, but we just describe them. But then we go out and we tell them, well, that's because we think this is what you're like. That's what you've got to accept. And that's the way women were. That was the way it was for women back, say, 100 years ago. And finally, they get to a point where, hang on a second, I am different, but where's the relevancy of that? So when you say somebody's given out to you because the, the old legs are going like the hammers of hell, all right? That's a problem for them because with the way we are, especially if you're in school, and that's where the problems occur, you're asking children to do something that biologically they're not designed to do. Children are not designed to sit behind a desk where the idea, like if you look at an aeroplane 100 years ago and an aeroplane now, there's no 
comparison. If you look at a car 100 years ago and a car now, there's no comparison. Look at a classroom 200 years ago and look at a classroom now. They haven't changed a bit. So we've kind of tweaked it a little bit. But if you ask, if children arrive into school the first time, the first day, and they're told to sit behind a desk, and they're trained to sit behind a desk, and that goes back to the Industrial Revolution of the 17th century, where children were now all living in urban environments because their parents were working all the hours in a factory. So it's handy to teach them how to read and write. So how will we teach them how to read and write? Well, we also have to teach them how to sit behind a desk or sit behind a factory table and work for 14 hours. And that's what we still do. For instance, you were saying there before we went on air, what were you like in school? Yeah, I didn't. I, I, yeah. got, I got thrown out of school at the end of first year. Right. And what was the learning for you in getting thrown out? What do you mean? Yeah, but why did they throw you out? Because I just didn't like school. I couldn't focus. Couldn't, yeah. Right. And, but you know what they did with me? Yeah, the, yeah what exactly. they did with me was the... And I'll never forget it. They, they embarrassed me, so it, it got gradually worse. Now, I, don't get me wrong, I done stupid things because I couldn't focus. Hang on, hold, what did you do wrong? Like, because I couldn't focus? Yeah, look, I'd just be making noises out of trousers. Of course, yeah, why do you think like you were that. doing that? Don't know. Because you were bored out of your trolley. Yeah, yeah, You were yeah. sitting there doing something that was unnatural for you to do, and you were expected to do it day in, day out, day in, day out. And then you were ridiculed, you were isolated. Yeah. You were suspended. Yeah. Okay. Put on time out, which is ice, which is solitary confinement. All right. And they thought, well, if we keep telling you, because they never saw it, that you had a learning need, they only saw it as a discipline problem. And I was the exact same. I went into school my first day. It's Dominican convent down there in the Navan Road. All right. I went into school on my first day. All right. And what did I see in front of me but this gorgeous uh, sandpit? And what did Muggins do? I headed straight for the sandpit. And the nun arrives out and she, and of course all the other kids dived in as well, all right? And suddenly this nun came in and she nearly had a fit. Who said you could? Because apparently it was until break time. You were not allowed to go near the sandpit. This was my first day at school. And she turned around and says, who said you could play in the sandpit? All right. And what did all the other kids do? Pointed at me. Yeah. And the first thing that happened was it was brought into the class, brought up to the top and I got three slaps of the ruler. So that was my introduction to school. Now, children live what they uh, learn, what they live. And my only memory of, pr- of primary school was being ridiculed, same as yourself. Yeah. So why the time you got to 13, after being ridiculed for so long, what did they think you were going to do? Yeah, the yeah. only way you could protect yourself was to get the hell out of there. Mm. But has it changed at all? No, it hasn't. I know one particular school that uh, the principal boasts that they have no behavioural problems in their school because he gets rid of them all. (laughs) And it's very easy. I don't know if you experienced this when you were 13, but I had a teacher in school, in secondary school. And what he would do is, is that he'd poke me and he'd know he'd get a reaction. And then as soon as I'd react, boom, he'd get me on the reaction and I was in trouble for the reaction. Did you ever notice that, did you? Kindly, yeah, with yeah. certain people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's how they get rid of you. 
Yeah. So what I do is I know your soft point and I'll just poke the soft point. Yeah, definitely. But you're in a hostile environment where they're trying to, are they trying to manage you in or are they trying to manage you out? The thing is, people don't want to believe you as a child. They say, there's a certain person and they're doing this and I know that they're yeah. doing it. Yeah. They think, well, why would a teacher be able to get you? Why would this? And you're, but I know, you know you're not yeah. stupid and you're, and you're realising it, do you get me? But listen to the, what, you, what, you just, what you described was the trauma bond. Listen to what you said. You said, you know, like kind of, yeah, I was kicked out of school, I was treated this way, but I was doing stupid things. Now, everything you say after the word but will dismiss everything that was said before the word but. Yeah, yeah. So what you've done is, is that you've inherently been wired that you deserved this. Sure, yeah. is it any wonder they reacted the way they did? They were the... Are we allowed to swear on air? Caution. Are you, Jeff? Fuck you they, were the fu- <laughs> <laughs> they were the fucking adults. You were the child, mm. right? How old are you? What now? Yeah, twenty six. <laughs> yeah, only a nipple. So, so this is back about. This is a, this isn't. No, yeah, it's this not that long ago. Not that long ago. Twelve. So they got rid of the leather yeah. strap, but the philosophies underpinning it yeah. are exactly the same. If we keep telling you what it is you're doing wrong, you will instinctively know what to do instead mm. and be able to do it. And they might as well have been asking me to fly to the moon. I used to end up in trouble because I had no idea how not to end up in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you end up on the radar. And once you get on the radar, then everybody, that's it. Uh, that's yeah. it. Yeah. They see you, all right? And it's called confirmation bias. They're expecting you to do it. Yeah, yeah. So they only see what it is they expect to see. And they dismiss everything that they don't expect to see. So if you do something else, and I get this kind of, you know, from kids, and I've heard this now twice in the last two weeks, untreated ADHD. Have you ever heard that term? Have yeah, you? I've heard yeah. it. Yeah. This is the catch-all term for putting you down, is that if you react, so let's just say, you probably are explosive like myself, are you? Mm-hmm. You blow up and you blow down. You, you're blow hot and cold very quickly. You yeah. blow and then you quieten down. And what they say is that explosiveness is untreated ADHD. Now, when this is the reason most teenagers are sent to me, oh, he's doing this, he's doing that, he's doing the other. I says, okay, what is he trying to say that's not being listened to, that he's having to go to such extremes in order to be heard? I don't know, but he's doing this, he's doing that, doing the other. I says, yeah, but what's he trying to say? Oh, well, he doesn't know. We ask him what's wrong. I says, yeah, but has anybody ever taught him how to recognise it? No. I says, so how do you expect him to know it? All he knows is that he's, in a, he's trying to defend himself. Ah, yeah, yeah, but so as long as they're able to point the finger that you're the problem, you're the disorder, then what will happen is, all right, is that nobody will ever listen to you. Or they'll say, ah, yeah, but that's just your disorder. Now, I challenged this probably about 20 years ago and I was working as a community mental health nurse and I was dealing with somebody who was very, very psychotic, all right, and she had a delusion, okay, she had a, a very serious delusion about God, okay, and when she turned around, all right, and uh, she believed, all right, all these kind of things, all right. But when I asked her, okay, everybody was trying to tell her that these things weren't happening to her. And all I did was turn around and I asked her, how do you feel about the fact that these things are happening to you? And another guy who believed he was being monitored by the government, which is a quite common one. Everybody's saying, you're not being monitored by the government. Now, I kind of worked in China for quite a number of years. <laughs> 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 you are being monitored by the government, all right? And you try to go on to WeChat sometime and you'll see what it's like. But I just turned around and says, how do you feel you're being monitored? 
And of course, what he was expecting, what he was feeling was, was the complete and validating environment. All right. But nobody was teaching him how to understand what was going on in his head. They were all just dictating exactly what it was he was supposed to be like. But I've, you know, I'm at conferences. I'm talking at medical conferences for the last 30 years. All right. And I keep saying that, you know, Terence here is coming to see me for therapy. Okay, you're coming to see me now for help with your ADHD. So I'm going to teach you how to be normal. Is that okay? Mm. But if I'm going to teach you how to be normal, I need a normal role model to teach you to be like. Mm. So I say, whoever it is that's out there that's normal, could you please stand up so I can teach you to be like them? And after 20 years, yeah. (laughs) And after 20 years, I'm still waiting for somebody to stand up. Mm. But there was always the inference that you're wrong. Mm. And nobody ever told you what the right was. Isn't that a common thing, though? The myth of normal. Absolutely, it doesn't exist. It's a common phrase, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's yeah. this, what would yeah. you call it? I don't know a hypothesis. Yeah. Like yeah. the myth of normal. Yeah. There isn't a normal person. To no, there isn't. After. But if you recognise, okay, because you know you go down this road and you start talking about gender issues and everything like that, okay, you know everybody is non-binary, everybody is bisexual. If you, it's, it's not what you are, it's what you define as normal. So if you take a gender issue and you say, well, if you have male kind of sexual organs, you're male. And if I have female sexual organs, I'm female. Well, if you define that's your definition of male and female, then fine, you're a male and somebody else is a female. But go back to what Descartes said in the 17th century. He says, I think, therefore I am. So I'm an awful lot more than just a bloody dick, all right? So in my head... I have yin-yang, you can call it. You can call it whatever you want. I have feminine-type characteristics and I have male-type characteristics. So do you. It's which ones are you most in tune with, all right? And then that's when it comes down to the argument that everybody's non-binary. Similarly, all right, are both of you straight? Yeah. Yeah. Both of you straight. If I put you into prison for the next 20 years, you can turn homosexual for the time you're in jail and come straight back out and actually be heterosexual when you come out again. <laughs> what are you looking at me like that for? I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that for a Do shit. You know? I'm actually overlooking this whole thing. <laughs> and, the re- yeah. and because I have this observation that I've made from being with Terence nearly fucking every day the last two years that about ADHD. So I've been told by a load of people mm-hmm. I've ADHD growing up. Yeah. But people who are not qualified and yeah. what I always say is that's a disrespectful thing to say not to me mm-hmm. but to people who have it the likes of Terence I know I don't have it because I know people that are diagnosed with it and it's disrespectful to them I don't Why? have it I just know I don't have it well put it this way if I said he's a genius Terence is a genius yeah. yeah I'd agree with you fine but if I said you're a genius would you see it as being disrespectful to his genius no but because ADHD the last day stands for yeah. disorder mm-hmm. yeah by saying that I have it it kind of dilutes what he has well, he has been doing. I've heard that. I've, I've heard that argument, and you'll find there that the likes of Jordan Peterson and Gaber. Have you ever heard of Gaber Matty? He's this. Uh, yeah, he yeah, was on Joe Rogan recently. Yeah, he was, and he's got yeah. ADHD. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And what he, you got to understand, twenty percent of our symptoms are specifically ADHD. Okay, I'm like a Ferrari without a starting motor. Okay. <laughs> I can concentrate on something that I find interesting, but I can't concentrate. Like, I can write, I have two best-selling books after my name. I can write a 60,000-word best-selling book in a year and it'll be a bestseller. 
I went to do a master's degree and it took me nearly four years and it nearly pulled me hair out, okay? Trying to write academically rather than just trying to write the way I wanted to write, okay? But the 20% of our problem is specifically ADHD. It's a problem with the wiring in the frontal lobe of the brain. Okay, the other 80 percent has nothing to do with ADHD. It's purely to do with trauma. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you are alcoholic, whether you are woman, whether you're gay, whether you're straight or whatever it is. But where we are with ADHD today is where the LGBT community was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, homosexuality was a sexual deviant disorder. Yeah. And eventually the LGBT community said, fuck you, I don't care, I'm not your disorder. And they went off and they stopped looking for permission to be who they are. And that's where we need to get with ourselves. So when they see, you said there a minute ago, this is something that I have a a problem with. Not a problem with, but I have to question. But you have a problem. Yeah, basically. (laughs) It's that whole thing of, I can't, so I'm diagnosed with ADHD, yeah? So are you. But this whole thing of, I cannot focus Unless I'm interested in something. Fine. Is that not normal behaviour for any human being? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes. That's... I want to take this all back before we get into it. Yeah. Right. So this, when you said, why am I looking at you? It's because yeah. overall, as yeah. a whole, yeah, yeah, we have two people diagnosed. Yeah. In, and I can yeah. see you two bouncing. <laughs> already, right, and running away. Yeah. Already I know that this is going to be the podcast I say the least amount in. <laughs> I'm not going to say whisper in this podcast. Right? And another thing I picked up yeah. from being with Terence is when he's around someone else who has ADHD, yeah. but who has it severely worse, mm. you go quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Why that's do you how go we quiet? Go. I don't, I don't realise I'm doing like it. I'll sit there like, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that, mm-hmm. but Terence is loud and... Obnoxious. Mm. Not obnoxious, <laughs> but explosive, right? And that's grand. Yeah. But then I know people who have it like mm-hmm. severely 10 times worse yeah, than Terrence yeah. and Terrence will be just look like the normal person is it person a dominance thing that you can't get a word in edgeways I don't I, I don't realise I'm doing the show I, I couldn't even tell you like oh, I'm going quiet with this re- I, don't re- I don't realise that happens somebody well, afterwards no, Calvin would say to there's me there's no such thing as just happens all behaviour yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah he doesn't do it consciously like I will okay. go quiet now it's it there it just if you yeah. want to record if you knew these like set of people were going to be in a room and you could yeah. set cameras up for an hour and then watch yeah. what happens while we're in the room and then when yeah. we leave and watch it back, yeah. you'll see it naturally happen. A uh, friend of ours, Mossy, he loved the shout out. He has it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. you want to check this fella. Like, he goes <laughs> off the scale. Off like, the rig. Yeah. You want to see yeah. him. What's he good at? What's he good at? He actually is really good at his job. I can't want to say his job, but he's yeah. like very, very good. He's very at good at talking to people. Fine. Believe it or not, yeah. but yeah. which is funny because he tried, to, he tried to order a chipper the other night and absolutely had a <laughs> you meltdown. You tried to order a what? A chipper. <laughs> <laughs> he had a meltdown. On the phone do you know why he get, Yeah, but do you know why he actually gets on with people? Because one of the characteristics we have as ADHD is huge empathy. Mm. Do you remember when we were in your neuron system? We're able to read people like a book. All right, but see, you got to understand. Terence and I see the world as it actually is, not the sociological shite that we're actually told the world actually is. And that was the original problem. You are being told good kids are seen but not heard. They're this, they're that and the other kind of thing. And you could see there's something majorly wrong with what I'm being sold here. And whereas other people, because remember, most of the books in ADHD have been written with boys in mind. And up until about two years ago or three years ago, it was always, it affects boys about five times more than girls, which is complete and utter the second word in the name of your podcast, all right? (laughs) Because it's complete and utter bollocks. The reason being is, 
because why would you take an interest in me? Okay, you take an inch to me if I'm affecting your world. That listener who told you to, will you put that, cut those legs off? <laughs> They're bothered by it, so they notice the behaviour. And now they start studying it. Now, boys lash, lash out, girls lash in. And boys become management problems very, very quickly. And because they become management problems very, very quickly, they're noticed. So all the books about oppositional and conduct-defined disorder and all this, all complete rubbish, okay? It's the kid trying to defend themselves in a hostile world, all right? But what happens with the girls is they lash in. So they go quiet and they sit in a corner. So these so-called experts, I'm not saying I've no time for expert. I am an expert in the field. What I am is I'm questioning people's expertise because they see what it is they expect to see. And now we realise, or sorry, the experts realise, that girls have it just as much as we do. Yeah. And if anybody's listening to this, all right, any girls listen to it, I want you to look up uh, girls with ADHD because it manifests itself very, very different. And the best places to look it up and to understand it is on TikTok. Don't start going down looking at one hour talks on, on YouTube. Everything on TikTok is 30 seconds. And people learn more. I never about thought I'd have an expert on here. What? You're telling us to go to TikTok. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? I just because never expected that. If you had said that <laughs> two yeah. years ago, people would have said, what the fuck? fuck? Yeah, exactly. But believe it or not, the people who develop TikTok had ADHD. Mm-hmm. It's... We are visual learners. We don't learn out of a book. Learning by reading words, okay, is a way of communication that was developed in ancient Greece when they learned how to write. And we're still doing it. So we say you will read the book and you will actually understand it and then you'll understand it. That's rubbish. We are nearly all visual learners, especially like us. So if you see me doing something and then you do one yourself, then you automatically know how to do it. For instance, I'll have to struggle Calvin and Terence, Calvin and Terence. And before we went on air, I had to keep reminding myself of your names because you could meet me tomorrow and I'll have forgotten your name, but I could meet you in 20 years time and I'll never forget your face. So my way of learning, my problem wasn't an intelligence thing. Mm. Okay, we have huge emotional intelligence. We are intelligent. Our problem is, is the way people are taught doesn't suit us. And whereas other people are kind of able to knuckle it down and they're able to maybe adapt to it. But we teach things in school. All right. And, you know, what's the use of it? You're not learning how to do it. So if you look at how computer games are developed, because what they did 20, 30 years ago is that they went to behavioural psychologists like myself and they said, how do people learn? And they said, well, they learn by a variety of different things. Now, you go, do you remember the Comic-Con thing that was on in the, mm. thing, in the convention, convention centre? Yeah. Right? Or you go to any computer game thing and what you will find is how many of those kids have had to be bet in to the convention centre to go and learn how to play Fortnite? None. And kids who will be struggling really in school, they'll be geniuses at playing Fortnite. So therefore, it's not an intelligence issue. It's the way they're being taught. Mm. 
And if you work on, and it's very straightforward how computer games do it. They're visual. If you go to a computer game and I go on to level one, okay, and I get killed in level one, I've got five, three lives. And by the end of the third life, all that happens is I reset back to the either zero or I reset back to the, the level I was yeah. at the beginning of the level. Okay. And then there is short term goals, like where you're getting coins that you can do. There's medium term things that I choose. And then there's third high things that I get to another level. But there's always it's teaching me how to keep going, 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 going and learning. Now, let's just say we want to teach you how to play Fortnite, okay, using traditional teaching methods. So what we do is we don't teach you how to do it, but we give you about five tries. But if you haven't learned it, oh, for God's sake, you've been told five times how to do this. So I think it's much better now if we just make sure you're not allowed near that computer screen until tomorrow. So go on home, go on, go on, go on, and come back in tomorrow. Now, you know, you didn't do it properly yesterday. And if I see you not getting it right today, I'm going to send you home again. How many of the kids do you think will actually start learning how to play Fortnite? Yeah. And that's the way we were taught. Right. <laughs> so let's I go get, home now. No, let's get into it. We're not even starting. Yeah, yeah all right. Okay, okay yeah. Service. Yeah. So uh, you were saying 20% is behavioural, 80% comes from... No, comment. 20% is ADHD related. Yeah. Okay. And I will definitely agree with that. My frontal lobe is wired differently to other people's. And with the way your leg is going there, I probably suspect you do have characteristics of ADHD. Right. right? So yeah. this is a conversation yeah. like, honestly, I said it to you, Arab Joseph yeah. is in there. Dave, he's yeah. actually diagnosed with ADHD himself. Is he? Yeah. Is so he coming in? Well, he said he'd come in if he, uh, if he has any questions. Yeah. But uh, we had this conversation out there. Yeah. And this is a conversation we do have frequently okay. yeah. with Terrence all okay. the time. And we broke it out because we listened to, what was the fella's name on Joe Rogan? Uh, Gabor Matt. Gabor Matt, yeah. We listened to him and what he said. Mm. And he basically broke down the characteristics. But what we said with ADHD, it's not black mm. and white. It's mm. so grey and it's vague. It's like, mm. oh, kids sit down and they act out and skilled. Mm -hmm. Kids are hyperactive. Absolutely. Yeah. If you put them behind desks yeah. for eight hours and yeah. put someone talking about something they're yeah. not interested yeah. in, yeah. a majority of them are not going to be uh, mm -hmm. concentrating. Mm -hmm. That's very easy. And mm -hmm. um, what was another characteristic you gave, Terence? Um, it was the the other one about it was that one. There's like no if you're not interested, like if you're not interested, like you're not gonna pay. Attention. You're not gonna concentrate. It's like, and but that that to me is like obviously. Okay. How do you how do you differentiate from someone who has ADHD because they're not interested in something and another kid? But we're the same. But all kids are the same. But for some reason, they're able to just keep their bloody mouth shut well, because they're able to make the social cues. That was the point mm. that we made. So yeah. I, I asked a question to Calvin and I, yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm watching this now and he's at the saying that, how does that make me, who was diagnosed with ADHD, yeah. different yeah. to you who weren't diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah. And yeah. they were like, well, the difference there would be that yeah. they could actually, they know that they're there for eight hours a day, that they can sit there and they can do that. Yeah. Where I literally physically couldn't. Exactly. I physically couldn't as well. All right. And but if people had recognized that and adapted, well, you wouldn't have to happen. It wouldn't have happened 40, 50 years ago, but it should be happening now. They, some schools are very, very good. Some schools are mediocre and some schools are pff, absolutely brutal at it. All right. But it's all in their understanding. But it's the way you learn. We all learn very differently. Now, if you notice 
you're talking about Gabor Mate. He's one of the most famous uh, therapists in the world, okay? I've been fairly successful at what I do. Terence, you sound like you're fairly successful. Like I saw your awards <laughs> outside there kind of thing, right? Even with him at all, all right? And you're now telling me Dave has ADHD. Yeah. So where's your problem? Well, this, yeah. so this, this led us on to another conversation. Yeah. You'd see a lot of people coming out and they're adult like being diagnosed yeah. and they're yeah. like, oh, I have ADHD yeah. now. Yeah. And they put it in that Twitter bio and they let yeah. everybody know. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, listen, you're 30 years of age. You've got your yeah. life. Yeah. Relatively straight Absolutely. Forward. So yeah. how come it's a problem now? Because yeah. you've been told you have it. Every cripple has their own way of walking. My, once I, I, my life was going down the swanee, was going down the tubes, because it's, it's, it's what's called a trauma bond, all right? And it's, it's what's called, it's the way our heads are wired. And your head had been wired by all the criticism. And it's a process of, of kind of, inter, it's what's called intermittent reinforcement. But the only thing I learned in school was that I was an asshole. Yeah. And I was continually, oh, every, all the interactions, everything I did right was, yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. But look at what you did wrong here. Everything, yeah, that was brilliant what you did there, but do better the next day. So everything was always with the but. And I could see other kids being able to do things and I wasn't able to do it. So I was called by one teacher. I was just called half-baked pie. So eventually I just, you'd start dealing with a huge level of guilt, which is I should be able to do better. Anxiety is how the hell am I going to cope with this world? And shame is I am what people think I am. And you're drowning in those three emotions. And at 13 years of age, he eventually says, there is no way I can achieve the target that people are setting up for me here. So I might as well switch off. So you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to switch off and go or else go for somebody else. Like when you look, here's, and sometimes this is hard to understand, school shootings in America, okay? I was listening to, uh, there was a colleague giving a talk and she was talking to primary school teachers. And she, she had asked them, she says, if you learn nothing else, she said there were junior and senior infants. And she says, all I want you to do is on the Friday before the kids go home, I want you to get all the kids to write down on a piece of paper who they would like to sit beside the next week. OK. And of course, all the teachers says, oh, you couldn't do that. You'd have all the friends and you never get anything done. She says, no, 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 no. She says, I want you to just spend five minutes reviewing all these now, you're not looking for the kids who are on everybody's list. What you're looking to do is identify the children who are on nobody's list. Because in junior infants, they're already starting to struggle. And they're the ones who need help. And I remember being so gobsmacked by it. OK, because it's such a simple thing to do, to identify the kid that's struggling. Because they, they're sent into school. Who teaches them how to socialise? Now, if I put you in a group of all girls or put a girl in a group of all boys where they're able to read each other, like you're saying we can read, we're empathically talking and just communicate with each other. And you're sitting out there feeling a little bit, you know, well, where are you going with this conversation? But can you imagine being that height? And you having to experience this very quickly, you're going to normalize yourself and there's something wrong with me. So when I asked her, I says, when did you get the idea to do that of just identifying the kids that were normally listed? She says, after Columbine. 
Columbine was the first of the big mass mm. shooters. She said people don't start by going into a school. And you'll see that all these kids have the same problem. They were rejected, they were outcasts, isolated, yeah. outcasts, and therefore they then just go out and they get themselves an AK-40 or an assault, an AR-80, and in they go into the school and they blow out. All right? And she said... That doesn't start because some fella got an idea a couple of days beforehand. It started from a rejection process that went on about, you know, from the time they came into yeah. school. And regardless of whether that's ADHD or regardless of why it is, what happens is, is that the child is not being taught. They're being told you must do this. And if you don't fit into this narrow focus of what we think you should be, therefore... How are we going to react? Ah, yeah. well, we'll just... And we don't need to reject you every day of the week. We only need to reject you about once in every 30 times. It's called intermittent reinforcement. And it's what's behind compulsive gambling. You've spoken about your addiction. What yeah. was your addiction, do you mind me asking? Everything. So yeah. if I had a drink now, I'd be sniffing and I'd be gambling as well. So I know if I'd have one, there's a chain of everything Fine. that comes with it, yeah? Well, I'll explain to you what the whole idea behind the addiction is, Okay. And what happens is, is that, you know, take how we find in landmines, and they'll be doing this in Ukraine now fairly soon. Mm. An anti-personnel landmine will go off with nine pounds of pressure. That's what they're designed to do. They're not designed to kill you, believe it or not. They're designed just to blow off the bottom of your leg. And there's phosphorus in them to seal the wound. Because if I kill you, that's one person out. But if I maim you, then it takes two people to get you off the battlefield. And then it takes 30 other people to rehabilitate you. And remember, the aim in war is not to fight your enemy. The aim in war is to take away your enemy's ability to fight you. Mm. So that's how we do. Sonia, how do you find, if you send people out to find them, you're too heavy, you're going to walk on one, all right? And you're going to be injured. We can't use dogs because they're too heavy. So what we do is we train rats. Mm. Rats are too, and rats have a sense of smell that's even greater than a dog's. They're highly intelligent. So how you train the rat is, you bring them out. And if you look at this Cambodian minefield rat, okay, they use this rat and he's about that size. He's they get ferrets to do it as well, what? don't they? Ferrets. Ferrets, yeah. yeah. And what they do is, he, they bring them along, they show them a landmine. And when they show them a landmine, they give them a bit of reward. And they show them a landmine, give them a reward. Show them a landmine, give him a reward. And they keep doing that. Now, if they keep giving him a landmine every time he finds a... If they give him a reward, a reward every time he finds, finds one, yeah. a landmine, yeah. then when he comes to a part of the field <clears throat> whereby he doesn't find a landmine, he'd say, well, there's no reward here, so feck off. I'm not doing this anymore. So therefore, you don't train rats like that. What you do is you give him a reward only until he associates landmines with the reward. And then what you do is he finds a landmine and you don't give him the reward. He goes, oh, didn't get a reward. So therefore what he does is he goes off and he finds the next landmine and you give him the reward. <gasps> I got the reward. And gradually over time, you reduce the time and the level of rewards that he gets. And his brain is intermittently reinforced that if I haven't got the reward under this landmine, I'll get it on, it'll be under the next one or the next one or the next one. And that's what happens in compulsive gambling. The win is going to be after the next bet. And your brain is wired to keep looking for landmines. Now, if you come back to the whole nature of addictions, okay, and this is still, you know, in most 
kind of most what's called paradigms, which is how professionals understand a subject. They would say there's kind of chemical hooks in drugs that are chemical hooks in drugs that kind of you become addicted to. And they, you know, and that's still the idea now, okay, that they still believe that. And then they started having a bit of a problem with that theory because they found that during the Vietnam War, some, it was a huge percentage, it was something like 60% of American soldiers were shooting up heroin in Vietnam. And the American army thought they're going to have a massive problem, all right, when they come home with, with addictions. And what they found was, was that when they came home, less than one in 10 developed an addiction. The rest just gave it up and went on with the rest of their lives. And they couldn't understand why. Like, where's, where's, where's this thing that heroin is addictive? And on the same thing, all right, you know, diacetylmorphine, which is medically pure heroin, we used regularly in the emergency department that I was in the A&E that I was working in in England. Because if you came in with the, my, with the heart attack, we gave you diacetylmorphine, okay? And it's like the white powder and you literally put it in and golden brown kind of thing and shoot it up. <laughs> But in all the years that I was working there, I never saw somebody developing a problem with an addiction towards morphine or with heroin. Okay, so people around the 70s start questioning the idea of what's behind addictions. So they went right back to the experiments that where they came up with this idea and where they had come up with the idea was they had a, a a cage. They put a rat in the cage and he had two drinks. One was cocaine laced. You've heard this one, I have you? This one, yeah. And the other was uh, just water. water. And in every instance, the, the, the rat kept going for the cocaine-laced water, very rapidly overdosed and very rapidly killed himself. Okay? So what they did was, they rep- but they said, you put a rat in an open cage, nowhere to hide, no socialisation, nothing to do, scared, anxious and everything. Okay, so they repeated the experiment, but this time they created what was called Rat Park. So it was a cage about the size of the the size of the studio. And they had a colony of rats. So the rats had all the company they wanted, all the hidden place they want, all the food they need. They had all their needs met and they still had the two drinks. One was water and the other was cocaine laced water. And in every instance, only one in 10 of the rats went for the cocaine laced water and those that did never overdosed. So they said addictions has nothing to do with the substance. It's to do with your cage. Mm-hmm. Now, when we come to what we call the invalidating environment, is that we, we never, if you say to me, I'm scared because there's a boogeyman under my bed. And my reaction is, there's no boogeyman under your bed. Go on upstairs. Now, what I've done is, is that I've either ignored your emotional expression or I've dismissed the relevancy of it. And if I do that over time, you're not learning how to understand your own emotions, how to verbalise them. And the invalidation environment also is characterised by placing a high value on self-control and self-reliance. So if you're not functioning in school and you came in because you completely forgot to do your homework, all right, they saw that, that you're not motivated. Okay, they see that as a character flaw in you. So if you don't get it right, it's a character flaw in you. They're not teaching you how to understand your emotions. All right. And so so you know, you haven't a hope in hell. 
So eventually what happens is, is that you've never learned, you never learn how to understand who Terence was. But also as well as you're wired to understand that the Terence you are is an asshole. Mm. So what eventually happens is, is that you, you then oscillate between opposite extremes, emotional inhibition in order to be accepted and extreme displays of emotions in order to be, have your feelings acknowledged. And of course, what we do then is, is that we ignore you when you're doing well. So when kids are sent to me in this, you know, and like, and it was the typical story, you know, oh, he did this and he did that and the other. I says, okay, all right, slow down. All right. And I said, when, what was your critical incident that sent, brought you here today? Well, two weeks ago, he punched the wall and he put a hole in the wall. All right. And I says, okay. And when, did, and he's always doing it. And I says, okay, so he did it on the Tuesday. So when did he do something before that? Well, it was about four weeks before that he blew off and he hit somebody or whatever it was. I says, okay, so between this instance and that instance, could you kindly tell me what he was doing? Uh, I don't know. What he was doing was, was that he was doing exactly what everybody expected him to do. But nobody recognised it. Nobody validated it for him. They were just waiting for him to fuck up again. Yeah. And you just lurched. And I was the same. I just lurched from one crisis to another to another. And both them and I were just waiting for me to fuck it up again. I never realised that when I wasn't fucking up, I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. But nobody ever taught me that. So what I do is, when kids are brought to me, I never talk about the instant about punching holes in the wallet, just say, get a tub of toly- polyfiller. Do you understand? You know, like kind of the hole will still be there in 20 years time, but your kids won't. But what I then do is I say, so, okay, why weren't you in trouble? All right. Why weren't you in trouble over the last four weeks? And I'd say the same to you. He says, you know, you don't, neither of you drink. Why don't you? You're 26. How old are you? Cal? 28. 28. So why don't you drink? Bad experiences were... Yeah, but hang on a second. Mix with me. Yeah, but everybody has bad experiences. It doesn't bloody stop you going out and doing it again. Mm. So why don't you drink? Because I think my bad experiences were probably uh, more probable than the average person. So I was like... Yeah, but... Yeah, that's have you ever validated that? How did you weigh that up at that age as well? Yeah. How did I weigh it up? Like what age were you when you stopped? 15. 15? Yeah. So what does that suggest to you? That... Without sounding big-headed, that I saw something. Fine. I preempted that this was going down a bad road, and I said, "You know what? This is not for me." Now, that's a classic symptom of ADHD, and it would have been your problem as well. Is that oh, I didn't see any problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm free now. Am I going <laughs> I thought it was fucking great. Right, yeah. With the problems, yeah, I never <laughs> met one I didn't like. All right. But if you look, what one of the characteristics you'll find with most kids with ADHD is that they have the developmental brain of, say, a 12-year-old, but they have the emotional intelligence of a 15 or 16-year-old. And at 15 or 16 years of age, you had the emotional intelligence and maturity of a, 20, of a 35-year-old. Because it's usually in our brains develop, your logical, your logical brain, you're born with these kind of neurons. And your logical brain starts growing, okay? And it's kind of growing, you know, you kind of think, you know, starts growing between the ages of zero and 12, okay? And then you go into adolescence and your logical brain grows between 12 and 18. Your emotional brain only starts maturing between 18 and 25. 
So when you get to about 26, 27, 28, you've started maturing. Now, because of our frontal lobe, we have what used to be called a personality disorder. And your frontal lobe is about 10 years behind other people. So you'll find that most people who are diagnosed in adulthood are diagnosed 10 years after 26. So they're diagnosed at 36, like you said, because their brain has finally caught up. They says, hang on a second, there's something not right here. Mm. But they're able to see it themselves. Now, when you're growing up, those neurons are hugely influenced by the environment you grow up in. Now, let's just say you had did a functional MRI scan. You know what an MRI scan yeah. is. And I did a functional MRI scan on you when you were, say, 14 and you're drinking like a fish. I can see the actual neurological damage in the cables. Let's just say you never drank, but you were being bullied. I can see the same neurological damage and I can't tell you which is which. So the problems and the wiring between the, the bullying, the invalidation environment was that your head was wired by the plumber, not the electrician. And it was wired to view the world through certain eyes. So by the time you got to 13 or 14 years of age, you didn't need somebody telling you you were an asshole. Your emotional head was wired into telling you that you're an asshole. And if you think it's hard when people can't live with you, it's nothing compared to when you can't live with yourself. Mm. And then you found a drink. And suddenly, for the first time in your life, you felt normal. Mm. And of course, the experience was, if I drink, I feel normal. And I remember somebody saying to me, he said, at the end of my using, I was drinking and using just to feel normal. There was no buzz left in it. I would agree, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. So, was it not natural that in the absence of being given some other way of understanding that you're normal, okay, that you would find alcohol? Now, if you're sent to me for therapy, okay, let's just say you arrive in for therapy and you're 15, none of your classmates are being sent for therapy. Mm. And because we don't have ADHD, I will be very nice to you and will be very supportive of you. And I remember one young fella says, he said, do I have to go to room 22? And I says, what's room 22? And I could see the fear in his, do you understand, about room 22? And I was thinking, and I asked the mum, I says, what's room 22? All right. And she says, I don't know. All right. Room 22 is where the resource teacher was in. And of course, if you were being sent out to see the resource teacher, that was a bit like being put into the dunces class. Mm. All right. And he was terrified going down there, you know. So listen and understanding kids. So when you come to see me, I won't focus on what it is you're doing wrong. I'll focus on purely what it is you're doing right. And the conduct behavior sorts itself out. Same with obsessions. I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist, you know, dealing with OCDs and things like this, obsessional compulsive disorders, all right, and rituals and everything like that, and ritual thoughts and optimatic thoughts. That's supposed to be my bread and butter. And yeah, I'd see lots of people like that. I've never once spoken to anybody about their actual obsessions. What I do is I focus on the actual, uh, on the, 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 the cure. And that was the model of therapy I developed. The abnormalisation of normal. 
Because if I, be, if you, be, if you believe that you have trouble concentrating, yeah, fine. I'll teach you how to concentrate. Okay, you have absolutely no problem concentrating, but everybody says you have a problem. You have a problem concentrating on things you're not interested in. So you are actually being normal. So that's something, Andy. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. so. I think people have this perception of ADHD that you're sitting there and you're banging your heads off the walls and you're yeah. blah, 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 and yeah. someone is talking to you and you're away with the fairies and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's not me. No. When I, and this podcast, I only learned this through the podcast, mm-hmm. is that when I ha- when we have a guest on here yeah. and they're talking, I am fully focused Look at your leg on now. what the guest is saying. It hasn't gone. Yeah. You came in here and the leg was going like this. Yeah. But because you're interested in it, the leg has gone dead quiet. Yeah. So was yours, by the way. <laughs> so yeah. Was mine going? Oh, your leg was going like the hammers of hell, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. When his stopped, yours started. Grand. Oh, but one... Just to show you. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out in sympathy. Yeah. But the whole nature is that if I now tell you you're a disorder, then in order to not be disordered, you must not move the leg. Okay? Yeah. So that therefore, you're now going to start getting anxious and depressed about being anxious and depressed. And Mm. it's the same dynamic that occurs in postnatal depression. People have this image, okay? What causes postnatal depression? You have a baby. A woman has a baby, all right? She's no sleep. She's stressed. She can't cope. Baby isn't sleeping. Hormones all over there. Your libido's gone through the floor. Your partner's (coughs) libido's gone through the roof. You have an argument. You can't cope. It's Groundhog Day. It's day in, day out, day in, day out, Okay. Women who are able to say, well, after having a baby, what would you expect me to feel? They don't get postnatally depressed. The woman who gets postnatally depressed is the woman who looks at how she's coping. And she says, I shouldn't be like this. It means I'm a bad mum. And therefore, she starts getting anxious and depressed about being anxious and depressed. And it's what we call the secondary problem. Primary problem is you're stressed out after having a baby. Mm -hmm. The secondary problem is I shouldn't be who I am. And that's what you learned. That's what I learned. That's what women who get postnatally depressed learn. Now, this is where it gets scary. Because now imagine you're a, a woman. <clears throat> and I do this regularly with women when I'm in class. All right. And it says, right, here's a strategy we're going to use. Okay. What I'm going to do is, is that Mary Jo, who lives down the road, She's going to, she's got twins who are the same age as yours. Now she's going to come up first thing in the morning and she's going to take yours down to mind your your baby with her too because she's brilliant at this, all right? And you can now have a rest for the whole day. Is that going to help you? No. Of course, no, no, absolutely. You're going to feel worse. Yeah. Similarly, people go to a doctor saying I need an antibiotic. How many people go into an average GP and say I need an antidepressant? Why do people avoid using antidepressants? Why do people avoid medications? Side effects. No, it's nothing to do with side effects. What happens is, it's like the woman, I'm going to take the baby and I'm going to mind it. Is that if you're abnormalizing and saying, I should not be like myself, then everything you try to do in order to not be like that is going to potentiate how much like that you are. So every strategy you try to use is going to get the opposite result. So if somebody goes on the antidepressant, because they're taking the antidepressant, you don't take an antidepressant, what does it say about me if I'm taking it? Well, it means I'm, do you understand, I'm having to accept I'm a complete failure. Or if I accept help, I have to accept I'm a complete failure. So people who come to see me with postnatal depression, and it's very, very common, 
all I do is explain what a normal mother's experience is like. And I have a colleague down in Galway, all right? She's a GP. She's retired now. Mary, Mary, Mary. Oh, what was Mary's second name? Um, and she was real roll up your sleeves GP. And when a woman would come in and she'd be really kind of really depressed, she'd just roll up her sleeves and say, Jesus, I know how you feel. I remember mine. And she'd share her own lived experience. And the woman would look at her. You're a doctor. You're a GP. So it's normalising it. Absolutely. So when people come to me, I don't teach you how to be normal. I, you know, first thing I'll say to you is that at the end of it is, is that, well, let me reassure you, you are as mad as a brush, but you're no madder than myself. Mm. But it's going to take me a couple of weeks to, to explain that to you. But once you normalise people, okay, once you normalise people, everything balances out, okay? And now all the strategies will work. But remember, you're a woman, you come to me and I'm a male therapist living in Victorian England and I think that you're feeling socially anxious, let's say. And I think, now, do you know what? I think it would be brilliant if you joined a rugby club because not a lot of men join a rugby club and it's very, very masculine and there's great bonding and everything like that. So I think it would be great if you join a rugby club. So she's a woman. So when she doesn't join the rugby club or she joins the rugby club and it's not working for her, do you understand? She doesn't like yeah. rugby. It validates well, the whole problem. Of course it does. Yeah. It says, well, you know, it works for everybody else and this is the solution. So there must be something wrong with you that you're not working the solution. Now, I did this with Dave and we can try it now, okay? Because I tried it with him and it didn't work, yeah. all right? I'll just try it with him. Yeah. I'll try it with you, Terence, all right? And this is all to do with what you should be doing, Terence, is mindfulness, and you should meditate. So I'm sure you've heard all this shit before. Yeah. yeah. Meditation, if somebody puts on a meditation tape, is that I already have about 10 people trotting away in my head. And now you want me to listen to somebody else going to start chatting away even more. So now I've got 11 people in my head. And I'm so focused on what your man is actually saying. I'm not focusing on what he's doing. Okay. So meditation for me is action based. So meditation for me is if I go out and I mow the lawn, for some reason when I come in, I'm feeling an awful lot more calm than when I went out. Mm. Similarly, I scale model, like build models and ships and things like that, all right? And I find that if I'm focusing on that, that's my meditation. But meditation for me always involves me doing something. Now, I'm going to take out my phone. And the way you done with me earlier was yeah. this meditation music <laughs> yeah. for me to relax. Obviously, I wasn't here for this. You show. were. Yeah, yeah, no, you were late. Yeah. yeah. As you, okay, yeah. But um, <laughs> you played it for me, Tom, yeah. sit down close. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't relax. Yeah. I yeah. thought, get me out of here. Yeah. You're going to play it for Terence now. Going to try it. Now, remember what I was saying. Meditation and somebody's talking. I'm trying to focus on what they're talking, so I'm not focusing on what they're doing. And I can't do two things, okay? In my head, I can do half a dozen things at the same time, but not when I'm trying to listen and do something at the same time. I can could do one or the other. But this is where they say, oh, you know, you need to meditate, you need to do this. So this is actually a meditation for ADHD, okay? Now, he found it, oh, geez, that would do me head. See, now with me, right? So... During this podcast, yeah, yeah, I'm conscious of my leg moving. Now, I know it's still going. No, it's not. But it's, it's I'm trying my best to, to be conscious of it if I see it. So, like, I don't realise I'd be doing that. Why? But I'm trying to keep my eye out for it consciously. Oh. And now I'm going to consciously be like, oh, this is a noise. There's someone talking. 
I'm not supposed to relax. No, I'm going to do it because what you do is, see, what you're trying to do there is you're trying to figure out what's the right thing I'm supposed to be doing here. So instead of doing what's natural for you, which is no more, no more if I was sitting here fiddling with my hair. Yeah. But if your head leg is actually going, what's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. It's how you're actually relaxing yourself. Now, this is something I'm going to do for you. So instead of trying to figure out what it is you should be doing, and that's an example of where instead of doing what's natural for you, it's that, oh, shit, I mean, is this going to pass the test? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play it, okay? And I want you to just listen to this. So just sit back and see what you think about it, okay? Let me just sit back up here, turn up my thing, all right? Sit back, close your eyes. Camera on me doing this. I haven't a clue. Go on. <laughs> What's going on? Does it go on to another yoke as no. well? No. That's it. It's called brown noise. Just listen to the noise and focus on the noise. It doesn't change at all. So, am I supposed to just keep close to you? Give honest feedback. Uh, what, do you find like, that relaxing? No, I feel like I need to be blocking a vent somewhere. And it's, do it, you? And, and okay. I feel like there's a noise coming through a vent and I need to get sellotape and put it over. Fine. That's what I see when, when I, I can head. get onto an aeroplane, okay? I have to fly to Dubai now. Some life oh, you have. Unlucky, isn't it? Must oh, be making yeah. a few quid. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, you have ADHD. <laughs> Give me five grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be sitting on an aeroplane. <laughs> And I like to sit around just behind where the engine intakes are because that's the noise I actually hear. And I'll get onto the aeroplane at 10 o'clock. And by the time the aeroplane takes off, within 10 minutes, I'll be fast asleep with that noise and I won't wake up until about 10 minutes before when they tell you to put your seat back up again. Listen to that noise. That's what's called brown noise. Now, we're on camera. It's not a, a great thing to be doing. But if you know, sense, and you didn't it? know what it was, but brown noise for people with ADHD tends to be incredibly relaxing mm. <clears throat> because it's the same. It's not somebody to say, do this and then do this and then do this. Because listen to what you were saying. Am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to be listening to this? Am I supposed to be like, what am I supposed to be doing? That's the real invalidation environment. That's not ADHD. That's somebody trying to figure out that I'm under test now. What the hell am I supposed to do? Yeah. Because you've never learned what it is you should naturally do. Now, I was diagnosed 30 years ago. Yeah. In those days, I knew that not only, okay, was there nothing in conventional psychiatry to help me, but I knew, I hadn't developed it now as a model of therapy at that stage, but I knew that the abnormalization process was that if I ever told anybody that I had ADHD, it would have finished my career as a nurse. I was a community mental health nurse. It would have finished my career because, no, you lose your voice. Oh, I forgot to say, that's just as ADHD. That's untreated ADHD. Mm. So you lose your voice. So in, in my books, I couldn't use the term ADHD. So I came up with the term the Raggy Doll Club. Now, you know the Monty Python team? Do you remember the Monty Python? Monty Python is a bit before our time, but I know who it is. I know, I know what you're on about. Oh, Jesus Christ. Terence is not a big uh, advocate of films, by the way. So. All right. Monty Python. All right, yeah. Well, the Monty Python team were all ADHD. And one of them was a fellow by the name of Neil Innes. Okay. 
and he was the producer. And when the Monty Pythons finished up, all right, he went off and he went into animation and he developed a cartoon called The Raggy Dolls. And The Raggy Dolls was the adventures of all the toys in the reject bin in a, in a toy factory. And they were all happy being who they are. And he, what he did was, was that it was it, like, it's not just, it's not much of a life if you're just a pretty face. Just to be whoever you are is no disgrace. All right. So if you feel that you can't fit in, <coughs> then look who's in the reject bin. It's the raggy dolls. Now, to come up with this idea is that we're all raggy dolls. OK, you have something wrong with you. You have something wrong with you. I was out highlighting this issue that there's no such thing as actually normal. You know, and the music was, if you're not at ease with your knobbly knees and your fingers are all thumbs, then stand on your two left feet and join your raggy doll chums. Because raggy dolls, raggy dolls are happy just to be raggy dolls, raggy dolls, dolls like you and me. And that's what I did. And it was phenomenally successful. All right. And, you know, I hold, you know, where I am now today. All right. But that's what I was actually doing. I was saying it doesn't matter whether you have ADHD, whether you have this, whether you have that. You are who you are. Who in God's name has taken on the right to say that you're somebody else's disorder? And we are where the gay community were. You're not a sexual deviant disorder. You happen to be who you are. So people who, who accuse you of having rigid thinking, okay, and you're very rigid and you just don't, you're not fluent. It's the people who can't adapt to different people because they feel threatened who are rigid, not us. I'd agree. Right, and uh, before we did that little noise yeah, test thing, yeah. yeah, we had a toilet break and we were out in the balcony having a quick yeah, chat. Yeah. And I said to you, I think me and Calvin had a shame in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but I am very impulsive and non-logical in certain situations where Calvin... I can go to Calvin and say, fuck, blah, 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 this is wrong, all this. And Calvin will go, well, stop for a second. Mm -hmm. You look at this, mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. and this, mm -hmm. and do them. Mm -hmm. This is the end result. Mm -hmm. So stop having your meltdown mm -hmm. and just do them three things and boom, you mm -hmm. come to that conclusion. So me, my point there was I would nearly think Calvin would be too logical yeah. to have ADHD. Yeah. No, I'm not an expert. Okay. But he is. <laughs> well, you are. No, yeah. and what I said was, that's how I look at life and a lot of yeah, things. Fine. It's like systemic. No. You go from A to yeah, B to, to C, C, and that's how you get the D. Yeah. Whereas I think Terence okay. goes, I'm at A, I'm getting the fucking D, I don't know how, yeah, but I'm getting yeah, there. Yeah. You take yeah. the scenic route and you just go A, B, C and D. I oh, know, yeah. that's just two different ways of actually doing it. But if you look at your actual mannerisms, the way you look, the way you stare, the way you kind of, you know, just little mannerisms, there is a possibility that you're on the autism spectrum. All right. And that kind of, it kind of, I won't call it rigid thinking, but very logical thinking. Now, if... It's very easy if you say you've got a problem. I'll say, well, I think you should do this and you should do this and do this. But the question I asked Calvin when you said that out in the balcony, I says, but how good are you at practicing what you're telling him to do? Mm. And he says, I'm sure you <laughs> mm. So it's very easy to turn around and tell you, well, I think you should do this and stop this and stop I that. I disagree with that. Fine. Do you? I think, like, sometimes I'd nearly envy how we can go about things. Yeah. Because you are very like that. Yeah. Like I feel like Calvin is, yeah. everything in Calvin's life is, step one, step two, and step three Fine. will get me to step four. Yeah. I know what I need to do and no one's going to stop me. Okay. 
and and he does it. Fine. Where I think like you said, I'm I'm a step one. Yeah. I need to be a step seven. Yeah. Tomorrow morning. But hang on a second. Or yesterday morning. It'd be his mental health I'd be more concerned about than yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the simple reason is is that as long as everything goes step one, two, three, and four for you, then you don't have a problem. But life has a habit of turning up and not following a linear pathway. So what happens when things don't go the way you want them to mm. go? Now you're going to have a problem because whereas you're one of the characteristics you have with ADHD is that we become incredible because we've been so challenged all our lives. We become incredibly less wedded to our underlying belief system. Mm. So if you believe that something is the way it is and then you realize that's where it's get, not getting you anywhere and somebody introduces a new idea to you, you will adapt it and you will make the change and you will literally go, oh, that's it. And boom, you will implement it. Mm. Neurotypical people who aren't like us can find that incredibly difficult to do. We have been experts at it for years. So if you're now saying, well, you should do X and you should do Y and you should do Z, what happens when you come across something that isn't within your control mm. and you're having to adapt? How good are you at adapting to things that you can't change? Yeah, I... <sighs> I kind of, like, in my mind, what I would do there is if I can't control it, then doesn't, I no. can't really worry about it. don't tell me what you would do. Give me an example of something you hadn't controlled and tell me what you did. So, something that I had no control over. Something that did. happened to you, yeah. I don't know. Can you think of any? Mm. Go on. Well, like, the podcast and stuff. Yeah, like, it's done. We can't change it. Yeah. But next week... We can do better. Yeah. But you come in next week and it isn't any better. See, this is the whole concept of trying to be in control. Now, the only reason that this podcast is going out the way it is, is because the electricity is working. Yeah. Putin hasn't bombed us. Okay. And you might think you've control over the output and Dave has control and everything like that. But when you look at it, anything could have happened to either of you when you were arriving in here today. You know, and it could get really silly, you know, like you could, your lace could have broken and you could have tripped up or something. Now, because bad things don't happen every day of the week, we have absolutely no control over anything. And anybody, what does they say? You know, today's expectations are tomorrow's resentments. All right, you know, God laughs at those who make plans about tomorrow. When you think things are going, you never know what's around the next corner. All right, and that's a talk for another day on what post-traumatic stress disorder is. All right, but because the only reason the three of us are sitting here is that the world, by its very nature, tends to retain enough stability for long enough that we have a reasonable amount of certainty that if I say I'll be here at half five today, I'm here at half five today. And if I'm here at half five today, then if I have enough stability and certainty, I get a certain amount of security that when I go home, my house won't have burnt down, the dogs will be there, my partner will be there. Do you understand? And I'll go on holidays maybe next week or I'll do this or I'll do that. Quick one in. Yeah. No disrespect. Yeah. That sounds way too logical and nearly... No, that's what control is. Yeah, so like, yeah. it's nearly fairy tale to go, well, I didn't trip off my lace and I didn't get a bang of a car, so we're here yeah. today. Yeah. But I think in my head, I would be thinking, we actually do have a lot of control. Most likely, there's a 99% chance I'm not going to get hit by that bus. Yeah. 
and the electricity is going to be walking and going out. The bill might be through the roof, but it's going to be walking. <laughs> so there's a 99%. Yeah. So I know in my head on the way over, yeah. there's a 99% chance I'm not going to get a bang of that bus. Yeah. So, the pe- and the guest is going to show up. And if the guest doesn't show up, yeah. we can arrange a substitute. Or or, yeah, yeah. So, so the likeliness of one of us dying is the main issue on the way over, which is highly unlikely. There's a 99.9% right. chance, I'd imagine, that we're not going to get hit by that bus. So... And the world then the power is actually in us. No, it's Instead not. Instead of because going, the world not, is spinning. The world tends to follow a certain amount of order that you're able to make plans. Okay. Yeah. Now, as in my life, I've about eighty percent stability, certainty, security, and order, so that I made plans to be here today. And I left home at around three o'clock, drove down to Whitehall, got the bus in from Whitehall. Okay, and then I'll go home, and then I'll have a plan for tomorrow, and I keep me diary. And the world tends to go like that, and it's highly unlikely there that I'll die on the way home. That's grand, as la- but there's you know, eighty percent of the time things go the way I want it to be. All right, occasionally everything goes the way I want it to be, but equally occasionally when you think everything's going the way you want it to be, nothing goes the way you want it to be. But as long as you accept that, you know, I don't have control, but I'm able to adapt, then you have no problem. But if you're saying I must be in control, now you're looking for 100% stability, certainty, security and order 100% of the time. And you're not able to adapt I to things not being the way you want them to be. I don't, I'm not like that. Like, I know there's certain things that I have control over and right. and I don't have control over. Fine. I let that be. So, so like, you found that balance. And yeah, because, like, yeah, I know I can't actually control Terence being here. So right. if Terence had rang yeah. me and says... That's I'm great. not coming today. Fine. I just have to deal Fine. with that. Okay. I have to find a way of dealing Does with that. Does he do that regularly? Oh, all the time. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know he's gone the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's another kettle of fish. Yeah. Uh, right. And you have something that we did say in the toilet break as well, yeah. right? Because what we brought you on here is you're yeah. the most qualified person to talk about this yeah. topic that yeah. we discuss yeah. almost yeah. daily. Yeah. What is ADHD? What are the characteristics of it? Okay. Can you... Give us the simplest version of that, what ADHD is. People can go on YouTube and they can look up all these academic things and you can say, right, this is uh, what ADHD is, okay? I'll describe it from my own lived experience. And 80% of the symptoms of the conduct disorder, the oppositional defiant disorder, the explosiveness and everything like that, that's trauma-related. It's nothing to do with ADHD. But there are certain characteristics that you have, okay? And I have to even look at my bloody book. The first is the actual concentration, okay? Now, when you're saying, well, define concentration. Well, concentration is I open the book and I look at it and I look at this here and I think, hmm, okay, well, I focus on this chapter and I focus on this chapter and focus on that chapter, okay? And that's because the neurotypical brain tends to act like a, like a cart horse. You put it in the cart and he plods along one step at a time. We have a brain like a racehorse, okay? And the brain I have like a race course is that I can focus on 20 things at the same time. But not only that, but I don't follow a linear model like you do of step one, step two, step three, step four. So if I go to clean my house, I'll start in the kitchen and I'll start cleaning the house until I find something that has to go upstairs. And then I go upstairs and I start cleaning up the upstairs. And then I'll actually find <laughs> something that has to go to the bathroom. And oh, I'm about to get the fright <laughs> there. <laughs> that yeah. Haven't, did we? Or did we? This is like literally every day we talk about this. And that at the genuinely give Fine. me a fright because I've never heard anybody else saying that. Fine. But you clean your house one room at a time. Yeah. I clean my house, <laughs> all the house at the same time. But I still get it done. 
All right. Now, there is a problem with that because when I start to do something, because I'm like a racehorse, I can become totally overwhelmed. So if I have a kid who's wanted to learn a subject in school and he sits down and he starts, all right, he very rapidly gets overwhelmed with, he doesn't see I have to answer question one and then stay question two. He sees I have to answer 20 questions and he can't do that and he doesn't know how to bring himself down. But that's where we have to retrain our, our frontal lobes. If everybody had ADHD, then the people who are linear, you'd say, Jesus Christ, will you take your thumb out of your ass and just lighten up a bit here, will you? That's the thing. So we have a brain. Now, I, I write psychology books. I don't write my books one chapter at a time. I write all 20 chapters at the same time and I'm constantly hopping from one to the other and cutting and pasting. Cutting and paste is great for us. The second characteristic we have... All right, and the quick one yeah. there, because <laughs> I swear... Yeah. Genuinely on anything, I've never heard anybody saying that before. Have you not? And I, I've rang Calvin recently enough. We always do it about yeah. cleaning the floors in the gaff. Yeah, and look, he cleans the floors in his gaff, and I deal with them in my gaff. And Jesus, do, are you Pope Mary? There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> but but we'd be joking, sorry, yeah. parents. Yeah, we'd be joking because we're like, I'm fucking in bits, I had to clean their yeah. floors, and yeah. we'd be joking, like, you sound like your mark, because that's all your mark ever gives out about. Was, I'm always cleaning this gaff, oh, so yeah, we're yeah. joking about yeah. it. Yeah. And he was like, No, you don't understand the job, I have cleaning the floors. <laughs> So I genuinely was yeah. saying to him, I think there's something severely wrong with me. Fine. Because I say to myself, now this I'm in I'm living on my own what a year and a half now, right? Yeah. And to this day, I still can't do it. Yeah. The normal way, let's say the normal yeah, way. No, it, it, but there is no normal way. Right, right. But the No, it's not the straightforward like, way. It's perfectly natural for me to do the house or to write books twenty chapters at right, a time. But, like so so end the right. I know of ADHD and I struggle, I struggle sometimes. It, it, the word struggle, right? But I know in my head the logical thing to do mm -hmm. is go from the bathroom, yeah. the hall, into the bedroom, yeah. into the sitting room, yeah. done, yeah. right? Yeah. And I say to myself, I'm going to do it. Now, to this day, I'm still arguing with myself. I had an argument with myself yesterday in the mirror. Say, how can you not do it? Do what? So I, I plan on going from the bathroom, yeah. up, in, out. I can't fucking... Deal with it. It's not possible. Like Do what? I can't go from in the direction of so. No, but see, yeah, it's that like kind of. You have your own way of doing. Does the, if we, is the house clean? But even if we, yeah, it's Fine. spotless. But, but I mean, does it matter how you do it? <laughs> no, Andy, listen. Because even if I try my hardest and yeah. go, I'm going to start there and I'm going to finish here yeah. and nothing's going to stop me when in 10 minutes yeah. I'm fucking flicking at things. Yeah. The sofa's in the middle Pouring of the room. The washing machine. Yeah. Like, and you yeah. have a half a million half-started projects going on. Yeah, exactly. Because your attention has gone on something else. Now, if you look at how it is we learn, okay, we learn until we've actually got a gain out of it. Everybody says, well, you should finish it. Why? If I've got everything I wanted to get out of it, why don't I just bring me attention onto something else? Valid point. Yeah, no, no, I get that. And I do say, it, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not stupid, like, I know... I'm the gaff is still spotless, mm -hmm. but I can't grasp the fact how I can consciously go... Start here and finish here and don't let nothing distract you and get distracted every single time I do it. And it's not possible. Yeah, because remember, all right, the reason you get distracted, I remember during lockdown, I had to see people in my kitchen. 
<coughs> people were coming in and at the first morning I was doing it, all right, for some reason, whereas normally I'm well able to tune into somebody and I just lose myself and I tune in and I'm ever like that. Jesus. First two people I had were had ADHD, all right? And for some reason, you know, we just weren't able to get it together, all right? Just, we kept losing our train of thought. And then I suddenly realised, all right, I couldn't figure out what it was. But what it was, was the feckin' Christmas tree was in the corner and the lights were flashing. So whenever we started trying to talk, we kept getting distracted by it. It's the next shiny thing. Do you understand? And we're just easily distracted. And there's no harm in that. Your house still gets clean. It just doesn't get clean the way you think you should get it clean. Yeah. So don't, if, as long as you're getting the result, who gives a damn how you're getting the I result? I just can't comprehend how we can consciously make the decision to do it one way yeah. for a year and a half. Yeah. It's not like I'm, I'm married a week and yeah. a year and a half I'm consciously yeah. saying I'm going to do it this way yeah. and I can't do that. That's mad to Why me. do you want to do it that way? I ju- I, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you get it done, who cares? What the, else have you got on the list? The, 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 the bigger problem we have is, and this is where really, really kind of most neurotypical people don't understand us, is we're a car without a starting motor. Now, you want to start something. You get into the car, you start the engine and you start driving. Now, you want to teach me how to drive. You say, right, drive down the road for me. Okay. Now, what you don't realise is that for me to start, I have to push start every time. Okay, I just don't have the same wiring. And people think, oh, he just won't sit down and do his homework. Yeah, he's well able to do his homework. What he can't do is sit down. So what you have to do is he has to push start every time. But people think that you're unmotivated, that you don't want to do it, that you're being opposition, you're being defiant, you just kind of, you're just, you know, you're just, you know, lazy, you're this, that and the other. Without realising, you take it as natural because you have a starting motor, you get into your car, you start the engine. What you don't realise is we don't have the starting motor. And when we do get a push to start it, we have to keep the engine going. So if I start work in the morning, I will keep working until I finish. I don't work and take a break and take a break and take a break. I'll just keep going until I finish. Because if I stop, then I have to start push starting again. All right. So once I keep going, I have to keep going. And then also what happens is, is that when you keep going, all right, you know, I don't want to stop. I just have to keep going. So the car without the starting motor is probably the, the, the kind of one of the most difficult problems that people have. And it's the one that brings them into most conflict with other people. I just can't seem to sit down. So what you have to do with children is instead of focusing or with adults, instead of fo- and by the time you get to adults, they don't have to learn it to this because they've learned how to do it their own way. But when you're dealing with children, what I have to do is I don't start off with start off reading the book. I say start off by focusing on sitting down the chair. Now, all I did want you to sit down the chair. Now, when you sit down the chair, get up and you've achieved the first goal. And when you've got them to learn how to sit down the chair without becoming overwhelmed. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to open the laptop. See, what happens is in your head and in my head is that you don't just see yourself as sitting down open the laptop. You see that I have so much to do over here that I haven't actually done, okay? And you become overwhelmed that you think, I can't even look at it. So if I sit down and I open up the laptop, 
and I focus on each stepping stone and start focusing purely on the things that you do naturally, then I get started. And once I get started, I'm okay. I can continue on. Is that the thing with films then? So, where I don't like... I just can't watch films. I'm just not. I don't know whether I'm not into them or I can't focus on them or I can't concentrate on that. Mm-hmm. But if a film starts in the first five minutes and it's, I'm I'm hooked. But most films don't. So I think what I do there is I look and I go two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Two hours, like yeah. oh. Yeah. I'll give you a great example. The live show. You'd ring and be like, "We have a live show in six weeks. Yeah. What are we gonna do?" And I'd be yeah. like, "Well, first of all, we're gonna sit down and talk about who we want on." Yeah. Then we're going to mm. say when the tickets are announced. Yeah. Then we're going to go and get the suits. Yeah. Then we're going to go and do the sound check. Yeah. Then we're going to get ready for it. Yeah. And then we're going to do the show. Yeah. And you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas what, when you hear we have to do a live show, you see us on the stage and be like, how the fuck are we yeah. going to get there? Why yeah. do you think I always, okay, now I'm kind of doing radio shows and TV for fucking years, but I always bring in Something like this. Now, I haven't actually referenced this at all, except in the last couple of minutes. The reason I actually have it there is, is that I'm liable to go completely blank. Do you have that problem when you... Happened in Vicar Street the last Did I? What happened to you? I was halfway through telling the story and I was, I promise you, I wasn't yeah. nervous. I was halfway through telling it and my mind just went, boom. Completely blank. And I, yeah. had to, I just had to go... I actually don't know where I was going with that story. Absolutely, Someone knocked yeah. the boy for you after. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I just took a screenshot yeah. and was like, boom, you have nothing in your head. Yeah. And it was clicking and I goes, oh, no. and Calvin was like, you were at this part. And I was like, look, forget about yeah. it. Yeah. I just went blank. Era 404, serve on that <laughs> Yeah. And believe it or not, that's what happens. Did you get stage fright at the time? Did you go, oh, fuck, what am I going to do now? Yeah, kind of, but, yeah. Like, but it was more like the crowd put me out of instantly. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah. because I knew we fucked it. Yeah. I gave myself about three to five seconds, which is a long time yeah. to not talk in front of a live audience. Yeah. And I just sort of went, it's not coming back to me. So I just went, oh, I actually don't know where I was going with that. And the crowd cheered. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, it instantly just put me out of ears. The well, only reason I actually bring those with me is that if I do actually go blank, okay, I actually am able to just drag myself back to what I actually need to say. So let's actually go back to it. So yeah. I think you are under the third characteristic. Third one was the opposite, the kind of the oppositional conduct fine. Now that has absolutely nothing to do with ADHD. Remember the frontal lobe has to do with impulsivity. Mm. So we can be very impulsive and we've never learned how to curb our impulsivity. But the reason we've never learned how to curb our impulsivity is because our brains were focused on trying to deal with all the trauma and everything that was going on. So the impulsivity, the kind of procrastination, which is trying to get started to do things and then the kind of the head all over the place where you're doing 20 things at one time. They're the classic signs. Now, Everybody said, well, don't we all have that? Yeah, but we have it multiplied by 20. All right. But it's just wiring we don't have. But it's wiring we can actually learn. And you can use medication for that. Okay. I use Ritalin. All right. And it really depends. If I'm coming on or I need to do something that I need to be able to use a neurotypical brain, then I'll use Ritalin to help me focus. And if I'm doing something like writing, I won't use Ritalin because it's a boring world. The neurotypical world is boring. Trust me, it's, <laughs> I don't want to go there. All right. And if I want to just 
get the right. creative juices get flowing. Get the creative yeah. creativity going. I won't use Ritalin. And do you use that daily then? No, like only... Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it really depends, all right, I started a new job where I do need to be able to focus on certain things, all right? And it really depends on which brain do I want? Do I want the brain that's so creative but up in the clouds or do I need the brain where I'm able to make fellas like that understand me? And if I have to go into court or I have to present or I have to appear as an expert witness, I will use the Ritalin because now I need to be able to translate what I, my expertise into language that somebody neurotypical will understand. If I was talking to you, I wouldn't need to use it because I could talk about everything and anything and go all over the place as I have today and you'll just follow me around. Mm. Do you understand? And you'll go off this way as well, wait. Mm. Right? Yeah. So, ADHD, yeah. it is this thing that goes on in the brain. It's very yeah. different. It's but you're saying it's yeah. triggered by trauma or trauma triggers... Which way? I would say there? I would be more with Gaber Mate than I would be against him. Yeah. Because... If you have ADHD, so you're a very active, hyperactive child, which most boys are. They say girls wreck your head and boys wreck your house. All right. Now, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. So what happens is, is that you are hyper. All right. And if you try to get somebody with ADHD to sit down in the chair and do it this way and follow a linear path, they're going to resist. Because another characteristic, unfortunately, we have is that we're pig-headed stubborn. And if you piss me off, that's it. As Churchill said about the Germans, they're either at your feet or your throat, all right? And if you piss me off, I have a low tolerance to that. So what happens is, is whereas other kids are able to say, right, I'll keep your mouth shut and I'll learn to not say it. We haven't learned those skills. But most of those problems, like the oppositional and all that, has all to do with, it's nothing to do with ADHD, it's to do with the environment we're in. And that's what Gabriel Matte was actually saying in that interview, is that if you children learn what they live and if you treat them like this, they will learn to experience shame, they will learn to experience guilt, they'll learn to experience uh, kind of uh, anxiety. But they're experiencing that because of your reaction, not because of their ADHD. But if you take kids who have ADHD and put them in front of a computer screen and do the way education should be, like there's a, it's the Sudbury method of, of education. The Finns started it and what they did was they got rid of classrooms. And they brought kids in and kids were just allowed to do whatever it is they wanted in school. All right. And it was like one big computer game. And everybody says, that's going to be ridiculous. Mm. And what they found was in the European tests was that within five years, the kind of the Finns were at the top. And the Estonians did it and the Estonians had a very low level of education and they implemented the same model and they went to number three in the educational list. So when you go in, if you go into the likes of uh, kind of uh, <coughs> the school for uh, talent youth, it's the, the, the gift to child program in DCU. If you go in there, say, as a 14-year-old, you'll have kids who are six and you'll have people who are 18 in the same class. So they don't actually age-related that you do this at certain times. All right? So what they do is they teach children the way children learn. 
and they just keep sprinkling everything on top of them. The German football team, do you remember a couple of years ago, the German football team uh, hammered Brazil? Do you remember seven the 7-1 uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that team that hammered Brazil, okay, was that Brazil, or not Brazil, the, uh, German had done very badly in the World Cup. And they had done badly about two World Cups, which of course in Germany was sacrilege, all right? If they were Irish, they'd be well used to it. But anyway, they kind of... So they went back to the drawing board <coughs> and they spoke to the same people in uh, who developed computer games. And they said, where are we going wrong here? All right. And what they did was, was that they brought in the new kids that were starting at five or six years of age. Is that in Germany, you're not allowed to play competitive football until you're 16 years of age. So all they do between four and 16 years of age is enjoy themselves kicking a ball around and learning skills and having a bit of crack. You know, just jamming around, all right? And the first, t the team that was developed out of that new way of educating was the team that beat Brazil 7-1. And that was the result. So, yes, we bring children in, we get them to do the leave and search, which is what I call the learn and forget system. 100%. Absolutely. You learn all of this information, okay? And my own eldest guy, you know, he loved history. I'm a complete history buff. All right. I'd watch doc history documentaries. He loved history. All right. But when you look at the way it's done for leaving, sir, there is so much and it's you have to learn this. And you have to learn this. There's no creativity. So people switch off. Yeah. All right. People just switch off and says, oh, I'm not going near that. OK. And what happens is and it switched me off kind of thing because there's just so much pressure on it kind of thing. So where's the learning? OK. And, you know, teaching is something you do to somebody. Learning is something you experience and how you learn and how you learn is different. But the worst thing you can do in being ADHD is to try and be neurotypical. That's the worst thing you can do. It's like me trying to think and act like a woman or a woman trying to think and act like me. Uh, in my head now, yeah, yeah, I like on an, on a daily basis in my head, yeah. I, I would definitely weigh up and it's probably wrong that I would like to be neurotypical, as you say. I would see definitely a lot more pros than cons to not have an ADHD. Believe it or not, you would not be as successful as you are, okay, if you weren't ADHD. Mm. I developed a model of psychotherapy 20 years ago. I have two best-selling books. I could not have done any of that unless I was ADHD. But what I did learn was how to embrace what I was rather than what I wasn't. But you do need, and this is what kids need to understand, they need to understand how the neurotypical world works and how to interact with it. Because if you don't, that world will destroy you. Mm. They will reject you, they will criticise you and they will destroy you. So you need to understand how to give unto Caesar <coughs> what is Caesar's. And there's only two times, thank God, with the Irish educational system where a kid has no choice but to act neurotypically. And that's the junior cert and the leaving cert. And for kids with ADHD, I strongly recommend using the stimulants for those two years. OK, now the stimulants won't fix the problem for you but they will give you the ability to be able to learn the skills of what I've you need. Yeah. Two things I want to touch on, and you kind of are leading me down one anyway. So what do you think about people who medicate their kids with ADHD? It depends what it is you're trying to achieve. Okay? 
it's a bit like antidepressants. Antidepressants don't solve the problem for you. Yeah. Antidepressants help you see the problem in 3D and you're able to then solve it yourself. Mm. But if, if so, if you take the logical and emotional brain, your logical brain is here and your emotional brain is here and they're interacting with each other all the time. And when you're on your own, that conversation that's going on in your head is your emotional and logical brains talking to each other. And when they get to a point whereby, oh, that's what that means. You've reached what we call your wise mind. It's like a Venn diagram. They, they come into contact with each other. Now, if you're depressed, okay, your logical head, okay, is depressed, so it's not functioning. It's working at 10%. But your emotional head, which has become the pathological critic, is firing off. So you can't switch it off. Now, in a, say your brain, a normal brain, okay? You take a picture of a rose. You send a message from here to there. And at the end of the day, an emotion is just an electrical signal. That's what it is. So you send a message to here and you see the rose. And then you send the message back and you see the rose in 3D. And says, ah, oh, that's what a rose looks like. If you're depressed or you have ADHD, when the message goes from here to here, instead of having a rose, you have a group of petals. And by the time it goes back to your logical brain, all you can see is a blurry red. You can't put it together. Now, what medication does is it helps you see things in 3D. But then you need somebody like me to help you understand, are roses red or white? So if you, so an awful lot of what you're doing, you'll figure out in your own head, sure, that's rubbish, I'm not feeling like that, sure, that's daft. But if you don't combine your medication with physical and psychotherapeutic, with changing your thinking, mental, physical and spiritual, if you're not acting on all of those, then once you come off the antidepressant, you haven't changed your brain and you're just going to go back the way you were. That's exactly what I was going to say. So yeah. is ADHD something that can be treated like depression with like natural remedies? Like, I don't want to say remedies. I mean, like, yeah. you know, talking and counselling, that kind of therapy, it yes. can be treated. Uh, well, see, it depends. Can I treat a woman for a woman disorder? No, but it can help her understand what a woman is like. Yeah. Similarly to you, if you were come to see me, I would not treat you for a disorder. I'd help you how to understand yourself. Mm. But I wouldn't have you doing your house in a linear way. I'd just say, is the house clean? Yes, it is. So what's so the, who, problem? So what's the yeah. problem for you? Every cripple has their own way of walking. If you try and do it their way, you can't do it. But if you learn how to do it your own way and you will naturally go in to jobs, all right? For instance, about 60, 70 percent, all right? And I said this before and you had never heard this. 80 percent of Olympic medal winners have ADHD or are on the spectrum. Mm. But like when you said that to me, I was like, that yeah. makes sense because you have to be obsessive to become it's the best not, in the field. It's not even obsessive. But what it does is, is that when we get to something that I'm really interested in, I get incredibly interested in it and I'll keep doing it until I lose interest and then I'll go off to something else. That's what Billy Connolly said. Billy Connolly has ADHD, all right? Mm. And he said, you know, we're all put in this world and you just keep doing things that you find interesting or engaging or you grow out of. But as soon as I've kind of, ah, I'm bored with that and I'll go on to something else, why would I continue it after I'm not interested in it anymore? What's in it for me? So the other things as well is, is that, you know, I'm going to fly to Dubai and I'll fly back. That's four, that's two flights with four pilots. I can guarantee at least two of them are autistic. Oh, absolutely, yeah. See, remember... The autistic, the way a pilot works is that he's trained to always deal with the next problem. Step one, step two, step three, step four that you were saying. 
And what he's trained to do is to just act in a certain way. I actually uh, applied to be a pilot. Did you? <laughs> 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 did you? Before I had this job now. Yeah. So it was in my last job. Right. I was applying for other yeah. jobs. Yeah. Uh, Lingus had a, a pilot program. They're going to train you up from scratch. I got to the second or third yeah. phase. And then this job came up. I was like, yeah, scrap that. You can go with this. And brains that are mm. autistic are specifically designed for that. Similarly, if you want to be a surgeon. Oh, my head is scrambled. Is it? What's the chances of you saying yeah. a pilot? Yeah. And you're applying for a pilot job. Mm. And we have a frequent enough chat and Amy mm. about mm. whether Calvin is like... Now, I'm not saying, oh, this guy and I'm yeah. just saying, because we would frequently chat about yeah. Calvin would say, oh, no, I don't have ADHD. So I know people with ADHD and I know the characteristics. Yeah. But there is something. Oh, I know there's something. And like, we always say, is it like autism? Yeah, and I think it is as well. But yeah. I don't... I don't I, I'm conscious and I don't want to be disrespectful to people that yeah. have been No, 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 hang on a second. But listen to what you said. Well. Yeah, but listen to what you said. When I said, well, you know, you said, well, should I go off and get assessed? I said, well, what's the point of that? And that's what I said to you. So yeah. I was like, it's not going to change that. And tomorrow yeah. it's going to be Tuesday to me anyway. You are Calvin. And as long yeah. as you're functioning with the tools you've got, then why the hell would you exactly. want to change? But if you had ended up down the road of addiction or something like that, then you're going to have to learn how to do something new. Yeah. The vast majority, an awful lot of surgeons are autistic. Yeah, go ahead. Good story about a podcast, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blind boy, doesn't it? Yeah. Blind boy's autistic as well. Yeah. Who's this? Blind boy. Who's Blind boy? You don't know Blind no. Boy? No. Well, you don't know little. Monty Python, so I don't know. Ah, Blind but you're boy. a little bit older than us. You know what I mean? Yeah, as you what? Enya? Enya. Enya, yeah. Enya. What do you think of people who, who would be like diagnosing themselves, like self-diagnosing and diagnosing yeah. their kids who just might be a hyperactive child, you know, like, oh, he, he has ADHD. Well, or... what's the purpose of the actual diagnosis? You know, like, I remember, you know, my mum, I only heard this out in later life. My mum died back in 1989, but I remember being landed off to see some priest in Mount Argus who was a psychologist, all right? And I remember they doing all these tests because, you know, I had the attention. I remember going for hearing tests because I do have sense. I have Asperger's as well. And I do have the sensory processing, you know, and I was accused there of oh, you shouted at me twice. Yeah, because I can't hear myself. <laughs> of course I'm shouting at you. All right. But if I'm talking to people, I say, listen, if my voice goes up, will you just give me a nod to bring it down? Because I can't regulate the, the, the hearing myself. But anyway, I remember I was landed off. Okay. And my mum told me this in later life kind of thing, because in the, this is when I was a child. This was back in the late 60s, all right, early 70s. So they didn't know anything at this stage. But my mum was asking the priest, you know, and he says, well, yeah, yeah, he is hyperactive and he's this and he's that and he's a hyperactive child, all right? And she says, what should I do? And give the priest his due. He said, love him as he is. Accept him as he is. And that's what she always did. Now, she kept me from going into the ditches on either side as long as she could. Mm. But it was very, very good that I was just able to follow the path they did. Now, I had my own difficulties, okay? <clears throat> and do you understand, like, kind of growing up in that world, and yeah, I fell into the usual holes that most people fall into kind of thing. But once I got the diagnosis, okay, once I then started, maybe I have a problem, but I was never the problem. So you grow up in a world where you were told you were the problem. 
Okay, you are never told what to do instead. You are never shown what to do instead. What people would do automatically themselves, they thought you should do automatically. But because you couldn't do it, therefore, there was something wrong with you and we'll just keep punishing you for it. It's like that old saying, isn't it? If you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to go through life thinking it's stupid. Absolutely. And that's what happened with us. But if you teach it that its environment is the sea and it's brilliant at doing what it is, and if we measure everybody's ability by their ability to climb a tree, then the giraffes are fucked. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> but if you understand that you're specifically designed to do one thing. So the reason they found so most of us, so many of us working in the emergency room, OK, was we thrive in certain environments. So kids with ADHD, I strongly recommend the parents get them involved with the likes of the Order of Malta or the St. John's Ambulance. And once they actually go in, I saved my first life at 16 years of age, a guy who was knocked off and broke both his legs. And because I had arrived, nobody knew what to do. But that's where, when everything is going chaos around you, you are at your calm. 100%. <laughs> oh, you couldn't have said that any Absolutely. better. When there's chaos... Absolutely. I am like... Fine. Because <laughs> this is own. my world. Yeah. So paramedic emergency room nurse, something that's involved in that. And the great thing about kids is, I said this to a kid this morning because his sister had just joined and she loves it. And I said, you're 14 years of age. If you're in an order multi uniform and something happens, nobody's going to see you as a 14 year old. They see the uniform and, they see and your help. leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And all kids with ADHD and with autism have high emotional intelligence. And you've heard it here first, with autism, have high emotional intelligence. That's one of the characteristics of autism is that they don't have this emotion. They're not able to read so-called social cues. And the reason we can't read social cues is, if you look that socialization is like, is all about establishing hierarchies. So you put a group of people in together. They all want to have a few beers because they're all sniffing around. And it's like a human version of a load of dogs sniffing each other's arse. All right. And they just are kind of, oh, and where are you from? And your accent and what do you work at? And look at the hair and look at the kind of the, the Nike thing there and all this. So I'm trying to figure out where you fit and I fit in. OK. And we establish our hierarchies. And if you put a group of dogs out together. They're all very uneasy with you. You'll have a couple of snarls, but after about five minutes, they're all, do you understand? They've, they've this hierarchy established. The reason those of us on the spectrum can't tune into that is that we don't play social hierarchies. So why would I have social hierarchical skills? So if I'm talking to you on a one-to-one -one basis, I can sit here and we can sit here talking for the next two or three hours. But if you put me into a pub, or put me into a social environment where I have to make small talk, I'll last about 30 seconds. Can you do small talk? No. no. Well, it's small talk. Like, what do you small mean talk small talk? Small talk is kind of, oh, the weather is this, and what happened? Did you see the match last night? That, yeah. I think you can. Well, if I'm interested, like, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, like, something about football, but yeah. most of us can't do small talk because we just don't play social hierarchy. Yeah, like, I can I can definitely talk about the football and all, but if you come in to me talking about whatever and whatever, I definitely would. Yeah, you've learned how to drip. talk about football. But if I was saying, oh, what was the weather? Like, if you met me for the first time in the street, you were the first one in here tonight, okay? Mm. And when we were sitting out there and 
the girl at the reception turned around and says, by the way, your guest is sitting yeah. there. And I had been sitting there for half an hour, sunshine. All right. Yeah. And I was so you sitting had to there. make sure to get that one in. <laughs> you, yeah, of course I did. All right. And of course you didn't arrive for another half an hour, right? <laughs> but anyway, you turned around and you said hello. Okay. And literally within 10 seconds, I could see you getting uncomfortable and you disappeared into the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I tell you, I was embarrassed. Why? Because I wasn't expecting to see you, right? Why? <laughs> but you're supposed I to be thought you were going to be here till half. I come in here, it was 20 past. I thought yeah. you were going to be here at half, so I wasn't expecting to, oh, you right. to be sitting yeah. in that chair. Yeah. Then I walked past you, which yeah. was very real, because you're our guest. We invited you in here. You didn't know who I was. Exactly. Yeah. And then it registered with me, like, you're yeah. at the walking past that yeah. guest. That fella Fine. doesn't have to be here. Fine. So then I was like, bollocks. Yeah. Then I was like, do you want a, a cup of tea, cup yeah. of coffee, yeah. water, whatever? Yeah, yeah. And you were like, no, I'm fine. Did you ring me in the rang. meantime with this? He did. He what? went into the kitchen, he rang you. Where the hell are you? All right. Because yeah. you, looked, yeah. you <laughs> looked flustered to me yeah. and you looked like, where are you? Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and I got it that. Because um, I'm at the yeah, fucking yeah. up yeah. the demon now. Yeah, but she, yeah. what made you think you'd fucked it up? Because I walked past it. That was very rude. Why? Because she didn't know me from Adam. Yeah, true. But. Yeah. You're still our guest. And? So I had walked past But how in God's name could you have known who I was? Yeah. Maybe I should have known. I don't know. But how could you have known? Mm. Mm. See, logically, yeah, you would say you would arrive in, you'd go, hello, Enda. Mm. All right? Now, being a bit anal retentive myself, half five to me is half five. Yeah. All right? Because I would say, you want to start recording at half five, so I'll be here about half an hour early. Because if I arrive in the fluster, I can't think of anything to say. So I have trained my brain I will always be about half an hour early and I have to ground myself and then spend time tuning in to what it is you want to do. Otherwise, like what happened to you in Victory, I'll just go completely blank. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when I arrived in, I'm teasing you saying you were late and you are this, that and the other because the, the lads were all saying, oh, well, the lads will rock in at some stage as to when they come in. It's only up to them. So you have a bit of a reputation for that. So I don't know what your you problem is. You're marching the beat of air Right. And uh, you yeah. said there we could talk for another two or three yeah, hours yeah. and we definitely fucking yeah. could. Yeah. Um, mm. Before we wrap this up, right? Yeah. So you said you, 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 you make your bread and butter Diagnosing people and... No, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a psychotherapist. So I don't go down the road of actually diagnosing people. But what happens is, is that if they're given the diagnosis, okay, they're sent to me to learn what to do about it. Oh, right. So you don't diagnose people because no, no. I wanted to say, are you constantly diagnosing people like in public or like if you go to a well, restaurant... Well, I'm sure he knows all the characteristics. Yeah, so you're looking at the waiter in a restaurant okay. and be like... So what he's saying is, why are you assessing us through the podcast? What? Basically. No. <laughs> no. I'm actually watching to make sure that I'm sitting up and Maria who's sitting in the box took off my glasses because she said my shirt wasn't right mm. and the last and the first time I ever went on TV okay I was talking about a book and your man had come on and he had put a little mic here and he'd come down and he kind of he forgot to tell me to shove me bloody shirt so I did the whole interview with me little pot belly sticking out <laughs> so I'm always very very conscious of where the cameras and all oh, are. you look fresh what? you look fresh oh, thanks a million yeah, alright yeah. but where it is sorry what was your original question again I'm are you constantly yeah. going around diagnosing no, people? but because you'd go mad if you were. Mm. But remember, I'm a behavioural psychologist. People will talk bullshit, okay? And people will tell you what it is they think you want to see or what you want to hear. What never lies is behaviour. So what I do is I notice people's behaviour. Mm. Now, if you come out to see me, all right, and anybody who's ever come to see me, all right, I, you will park the car in the driveway. You'll get out of your car. Normally, I've seen you on the camera, so I've come out to say hello. By the time you have left the car and you've arrived over to me, I can tell you your life's history. 
I can tell you exactly why you're coming to see me. I don't take referral letters. I don't take diagnosis. You show me a report card. They come in with the file. They say, and I said, Jesus, no, don't give me that. Let's just talk about what brought you to see me here today. And 90% of my work is teaching you that, yes, you are as mad as a brush, but you're no bloody madder than myself. And you don't have a diagnosis, but I do. So I'm actually certifiable. Mm. All right. And people relax immediately. But I'd have a very good reputation of seeing kids with ADHD. And I'd love to say I'm greater than the driven snow and I'm brilliant and I'm this than the other. I'm not. But all I do is teach the child how to understand and accept themselves as they are. And that's 80% of the problem solved. And then learn how to tell the world to fuck off and yeah. get off me bloody case mm -hmm. without getting yourself into trouble. That's what I think they need to rename it. Take the second E out. Take the dirt disorder out of it. People learn how to be gay. They learn how to be themselves. If I'm trying to teach them that you have a sexual deviant disorder, then I'm saying there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And it's the disorderization. It's the disorder that causes the problem, not the ADH. Mm. Right. This yeah. has been a whirlwind. Do you know what? This, this could definitely be a part two in the future. 100 percent and three yeah. and four. <laughs> and it can go on. I, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to go and get assessed now. What? Yeah. Well, put this would go back to where you said. Why? You can get assessed, but go ahead and do it. I'll give you Jacinta McComish's name over in Hone Associates. I'll give her a call. Why don't you bring her on You're, you know we've now said that maybe you're autistic yeah. so why don't I ask Jacinta to come on and let her actually do an assessment on, on, on like camera that. with you I'd like to say just yes. for the curiosity as I said pure curiosity because yes, everybody no, no, no. is scared is terrified now Jacinta's going to kill me for this one alright everybody's terrified of this assessment and they get a page thing about 30 pages long and what they don't realise is this is just a snapshot mm. okay now I'll have an argument with Jacinta and says, well, what are you comparing me to? Oh, well, you know, you're in the 30th percentile. Well, what do you mean by that? Who's the other 30 percent? Oh, well, the average person, average words. So we can have a dis an argument, but it'd be well worth your while as part of this understanding what the assessment is. And what I would love to do is that interview you, okay, your lived experience of growing up with ADHD and do it on camera. But instead of you interviewing me, I'm interviewing you. So we're going to do a little retake, are we? Role reversal. A role reversal, but what I'll do is I'll ask you what your lived experience growing up is. And everything I've described here, you will describe it, that that's exactly what happened to you. But this is how it actually happened. It's the invalidation environment and you never learned how to be yourself. So I'm going to catch you back on that one. That's okay. That's the part two. That's that's and the part two. I'm right. in as well. Yeah. yeah. And I'll ask Jacinta. All right. Now she's gonna bloody kill me about yeah. this. All right. But it'd be well <laughs> worth your while actually just talking to them about what the hell do you do with these assessments? How do you do it? Why do you do it? What way is it useful to me? And should I, as an adult, get myself assessed? Yeah. See, I just think I, I touched on it before. I just think people like the label and be like, I have this or he has yeah. that and they have this and yeah. right and what. You know what I mean? But sometimes the label gives me an understanding of what it is I am. I completely agree with you, but I still think yeah. some people like the, as I said, some people put in that Twitter bio and all, like, right, why do I need to know that about you? I don't You're get still the same person often, to me. But one thing I would see is women, let's say late teenagers, who lost their mums very early in life and grew <laughs> up in a house of boys. 
And when they come to me, they're coming to me with depression and anxiety because they think they should be acting like their dad or their brothers or something like that. And I says, why would you do that? And all I do is teach them. I'm not a woman. Do I understand why I'm not going down and hanging myself <laughs> on that bloody thing? All right. But what I will do is, is that I'll show you how to experience the journey and I'd love to hear your experience of it and let's have a bit of a laugh about it. Yeah, definitely. We'll set right? that up. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll interview you. All yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. All right, we're looking forward to this one. <laughs> Keynote. Boom! Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. The hip knocker.